Good morning, everyone. Grab a seat. Good to see you. Welcome online, wherever you're joining us this morning and in our courtyard. It's great to have you. Do grab a seat. My name is Gair. I'm one of the pastors here at Vintage. A great delight to welcome you to our church family. If you're exploring faith, welcome. If you're reconsidering faith or doubting faith, welcome. If you're looking for a church home, welcome. We're just so glad that you're here. And uh, we are a family here at Vintage, and so I'm looking for one person in particular. Is she not here? But we do want to celebrate um, David and Kira. You may not know them, but they got engaged yesterday, which is very exciting. She runs our... You'll see Kira kind of marshalling our prayer ministry folks at the end. And so if you just want to come for prayer ministry, give her a high five for... That's not a high five, is it? I'm learning the American way. That's a fist bump. Uh, but very exciting uh, that they got engaged. It's so good. How are you doing? Who's going away for Thanksgiving? Are you going away for Thanksgiving? Who's out of here for Thanksgiving? All right, let's have a little uh, poll here. Who's out of California for Thanksgiving? Wow. Um, let's see. I don't go east of the 405, so that's amazing. <laughs> no, so, okay, let's go. Who's, who's going like Midwest way? Like you're going all the way that way? Amazing. Who's going beyond that to the east coast or the south? Amazing. Who's going overseas? Like, I'm out of America for Thanksgiving. Who's going overseas? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah, shout the country you're going to. Canada. <laughs> who's who's going to tell her? <laughs> we had a hand over here. Mexico. Can we just pull up a map, a globe? Um, anybody going actually over a body of water? <laughs> We're going, yes, where are you going? Dominican Republic. There you go. Amazing. So good. Well, we'll miss you. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Who's staying in LA for Thanksgiving? There you go. Welcome, the remnant. It's so good to have you here. Um, we bless you to travel. Hope you have a wonderful time. I love Thanksgiving. Uh, we are going to uh, give part of our life in following Jesus is becoming more and more like him, including generosity, that all we have is to bless others. And so actually, I've, our friends at Church of the City in New York, if you've ever, ever been there, John Tyson, I remember him telling me a long time ago, they have a liturgy whenever, I don't know if they still do it, but a liturgy around generosity before they give. And I thought years ago, we should do that at Vintage in my always effort just to steal good ideas. We should do that here. And we've never, never done it. So I thought I'd read it out and then you can tell me if we should do that on a regular basis, all right? So, but let me read this as we prepare our hearts for generosity. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am, and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ the Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous 
because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. 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 Powerful. Let's pray just as we come to give. Lord, I thank you. You've called us into this great story of generosity, laying down our lives for the sake of others, preferring others above ourselves, and using our time, talent, and treasure, all of which you have given to us to serve others and bless them. And Lord, we give to many things, and one of the things we give to is that your church may be a blessing to our city. Our church may be a blessing to help our young kids grow up in Jesus, our missions and our communities. Lord, we love seeing what you're doing in our church. So as we give, we pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done in Los Angeles as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you think that was a good idea, um, let me know. I want to ask you a question this morning. When the going gets tough in your faith, what keeps you going? When the going gets tough in your faith, what keeps you going? I mean, following Jesus is amazing. We're seeing so many wonderful stories of Jesus transforming lives in our community and across our city. But following Jesus is also really hard at times. There is great spiritual oppression to following Jesus. There's increasing cultural opposition. There's vocational challenges with being a Christian. There's disappointments with unanswered prayer. There's, there's disillusionment with, God, I thought you'd show up here. Uh, like, why is this not happening? And Jesus, what is going on here? And in the words of the psalmist, like, why do people who don't follow you seem to prosper and yet your followers don't seem to prosper? Where are you? This is real. I'm feeling the headwinds of doubts and challenges and disappointments. Whew. Can I keep going? This actually was where I was at a couple of weeks ago. I am many times this, and just be honest with you. I was walking my dogs a couple of weeks ago, and my morning routine is to walk the dogs and I end up at a cafe and I kind of take my Bible with me, my journal with me, and I, I sit down in that cafe and spend time with Jesus and then I walk back. And that was my routine, but that Tuesday morning a couple of weeks ago, I was really down. And all I, God, is this worth it? It's like disappointments, challenges, oppositions, kind of, looking out at culture going, oh, you know, Jesus, where's the life and life to the full? It just seems that this is so costly. I looked at the disappointments. I had some heroes who met in my faith and pastoring churches who had done things which, again, hurt me and hurt others. And I don't know about you, but is it just me? Or sometimes you go, can I keep going? Can I keep going? I didn't know if I, I had doubts, I had disillusionments and disappointments like we all. How do we keep going in our faith when the going gets tough? This is a great introduction to our new series that we'll be speaking on over the next few weeks. Is we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark together. 
the Gospel of Mark together because the Gospel of Mark was written for this very purpose, to encourage weary, disappointed, disillusioned, persecuted Christians. I mean, out the gates after the resurrection, the Christians were excited. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were so passionate and fueled to follow Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever they went. But by AD 65, around 60 to 70 AD, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, following Jesus wasn't so much fun as they thought it might be. Great Roman persecution came. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were likely to lose your property, lose your business, and lose your life. And in their challenging circumstances, we can echo sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, can I keep going? Did I get it right? Was Jesus the son of God? Did the resurrection happen? What about all the promises that seem to be unfulfilled? I mean, there's good stuff happening, but oh my gosh, I'm not sure I could withstand right now these challenges. Mark was writing to the church to give them resilience in the face of the hurricane of disillusionments and doubts and the challenges of following Jesus. I mean, resilience is part of the hallmark of following Jesus. Jesus said it's going to get tough. That following him is to carry a cross, that it's a narrow path. And resilience is going to be needed to withstand the oppositions and the challenges that you face and how do you be resilient in the face of these things I grew up in the north of England with lots of these amazing oak trees everywhere and these oak trees looked fantastic they looked strong they looked like they would withstand anything but we all knew that if a huge wind would come that though they looked strong on the outside they would quickly because of their shallow root system kind of topple over and there were lots of pictures all the time in winter of things like this. And I don't know about you, but over the years I've seen friends who I grew up with, friends who I worshipped with, friends who we saw miracles together, friends who we would go tell others about Jesus together, friends who would be committed in church and that things have happened, disappointments and challenges, that the root system wasn't deep enough to withstand the winds. And yet now I've moved to LA, I see different types of trees and they seem to be skinny and kind of pretty insubstantial. But because of these palm trees everywhere, because of their root system, they can bend over. Here's a picture. They can bend everywhere and yet they can still stay up. Mark was writing to a church saying, you need the gift of being like a palm tree. Rooted that you can flex with the wind, but you ain't going anywhere. This is why Mark wrote his gospel. So we're gonna read the beginning of Mark's gospel together in chapter one. I'm gonna channel my inner John Mark right now. Let's stand for the gospel. Um, that's all you're gonna get from John Mark through me, by the way. <laughs> Welcome back to the shallow end. Um, so we're gonna see the screen here. So. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. 
And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of, his, of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Amen. Please be seated. Mark begins his gospel in a very unusual way compared to the other gospels. He doesn't do kind of the nice kind of soft entry of the nativity scene. There's no babies or camels to, get, to begin with. He breaks in knowing that these people are disillusioned, knowing that they need encouragement. He just cuts to the chase. Now this resonates with who we know is behind the gospel of Mark because Mark was actually just writing down the eyewitness testimony of the Apostle Peter. And if you know the Apostle Peter, he was a man of impulse. He was a man of you know, action. And we straight away see that Mark kind of wants to begin his gospel with people reading it going, I don't know if I can still hang in there. He goes, let me tell you a couple of things straight away to anchor your faith. I remember years ago, a friend of mine in Australia who was pastoring a church was going through a horrible time. I remember we were Skype in those days. Remember Skype? Skype in those days. And we were Skyping and he was like going, oh, this is, you know, going through all the challenges and there was really deep, um, he was being mis wrongly accused of things and it was really hard and I was there and I just said, time out, time out, time out, stop. I went, just look at me. Don't say a word. And I, I want you to hear the truth. And that for the next 10 minutes, I just bombarded him with who he is in Christ, that God's in control, that you were called here, that you can continue. Greater is he that is in you. And he just stood there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got this. Thanks, girl. This is what Mark's doing to us. He's like straight in. This is the gospel of Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ. He straight away says, look, look, I want you to remember that resilience begins with being rooted in the story of God and what he's doing in the world. Being rooted in God's true story, in the reality above all the nonsense that you're experiencing right now. 
And all the other kind of alternative stories of what life is about, whether it may be Project Self or Leisure Pleasure Treasure or Make Much of Yourself, or whatever it may be, all of this is not reality. Let me take you above the micro circumstances of your life and give you the horizon, the truth of what God is doing in the world and see your place within that story. As our friend in England, Pete Hughes says, the story you live in is the story you live out. And we can get so easily sucked into the stories around us and get disillusioned of, hey, where is God in all of this? The enemy, like, what's going on? Like, the wicked seem to prosper, what's going on? And yet, Mark goes, come on, come with me, come up, come up. Let me remind you of the true story of reality, the true story of what God is doing in the world and where you fit in that. He begins and says, look, do you remember? Do you remember the prophecies of old that one day there would become a Messiah who would rescue us as the people of God and heal this world? Well, it happened in Jesus Christ. The beginning of the good news, the gospel, the announcement that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not only the Messiah, he's the son of God, which actually is not a divine term. It was the term used for the Messiah, but the Messiah could just be an earthly king. And he says, but Jesus not only came to fulfill the prophecies of old that a new king would come to heal this world, but he quotes Isaiah and Micah back to back, a little mixtape of Old Testament prophets. And he goes, look, do you remember the prophets of old said not only a king would come, but God himself would come. That Yahweh would come. The one created God would come and bring healing back to this world and restore and renew all things. And this is who Jesus is. Do you remember, we've seen the prophecies, we've seen the waiting, we've seen the story of God all the way back through our history, that now a new chapter has begun, that this is the, the true story of what God's doing in the world. Do not ever doubt that this, your existence is just chaos, that your existence is just for yourself, that your existence is just, well, just make much of this life, that all that, that's all that there is. No, remember the story of what God is doing in the world. It's why he goes on to talk about John the Baptist. It's not just, oh, and by the way, there's this guy in a cool kind of hipster outfit out in the wilderness eating honey. He says, no, do you remember, this is another fulfillment of prophecy. Do you remember in the Old Testament that when the, prophet, when the prophecies of God himself would come, that there would be a prophet like Elijah who would announce his arrival? And this is what's being fulfilled in John the Baptist. Even down to John the Baptist wore the same type of clothing as the prophet Elijah. That's the point of commenting on the wardrobe of John the Baptist. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. We're in a story. We're in an unfolding drama of God. We're not in the story of just making much of this life we're in a much bigger, deeper reality of what God is doing. Jesus goes on and says, look, the time is near. The time has come, sorry, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near, which means the next stage of this story is unfolding, that Jesus, God has come to renew all things, to push back evil, to push back darkness, to push back oppression, to push back loneliness, to push back lostness. He's come to heal and drive the evil out of this world and for the next nine chapters, of Mark's gospel, we see Jesus doing his stuff. Healing the sick, casting out demons, driving out injustice. This is what Jesus has come to do. 
And Mark is saying, look, do you see the stories unfolding? Do you see, do you see that you're not, don't get caught up in these little micro stories of our city. Do you see what is going on? And at the end of Mark's gospel, we see that this story is not just for Jesus, but this story now that we are brought into this story to do the same things that Jesus did, to be like him, to follow him, and to outwork in us in our worlds, in our circumstances, in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our city, to see his kingdom come, his will be done. Do you see the story that you're in? It makes sense then of all the oppositions that we face because just as Jesus brought light into the darkness, the darkness didn't like it and opposed it, well so will we then when we drive into the darkness of our city with the light of the good news of Jesus. This is the true reality Remember that your inner story, unfolding drama, that whether you've been born in Los Angeles or whether you've been brought to Los Angeles, you have a purpose, a calling that God has created you to join him in this moment, in his church, in this moment, to carry on the mission of Jesus, to see this world renewed in his glory, in his name. Remember the true story of what is going on. I love how Jesus said, very helpfully. So look, the kingdom of God is near. In other words, the beginning has come. The beginning of his kingdom project has started. But it's going to be a messy bowels and blessings until he comes back again. That we're going to see great breakthroughs in the kingdom. And part of our community here, we have stories and histories of God doing amazing things. The kingdom of God is near. In your life, you've probably got stories where you look back and go, oh, do you remember when God broke in? Do you remember when God provided? Do you remember when God did these things which anchored my faith in, oh gosh, God is real. But there's also gonna be the not yets. The times of disappointments, the time of unanswered prayers, the times of unfulfillment where you got, oh God, where are you? And Jesus says, look, that's gonna be the story of your life. That kingdom of God has begun, but it won't be fully realized until he comes back again. And we have to live in this tension. We have to live in this mystery of God. We're seeing great breakthroughs. We're seeing people come to know Jesus. We're having amazing baptisms later today. But then there's people in our hearts, we long, oh Lord, we long for them to come to know you. Are you rooted in the story of God, of your story in God's story? I remember when we came to LA, we were not looking to move to Los Angeles. I mean, you may have heard the story before. We weren't thinking, okay, where do we want to live? We didn't think of, oh, LA is like the place we wanna go. In fact, when Lizzie and I, you know this story, I'm sure, but when we were praying about, God, what's next for us, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina. And when we were thinking, God, where's next for us? Because we think our season's coming to an end. We looked at the map of America and the only place that was kind of, we'll never live there was Los Angeles. <laughs> I remember literally the next day, a call came from my bishop saying, yeah, I just feel through lots of different things that I think maybe you and Lizzie should go out and plant a church in Los Angeles. I was petrified to tell my wife. <laughs> and we came out. 
I remember we came out kind of on visits to LA to, to pray and to see if God is calling us here. And not once in all those trips was it, oh, I'm, we love LA. <laughs> not once was, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to live here. I'm not, I love my city, but I'll come on to why in a minute. But there was never a sense of, as a non-artist, legal training, I'm a mountain guy with countryside and rain and my Labradors. That's who I am. <laughs> and I thought, and I came out, and I remember walking around Santa Monica, walking around LA going, I just don't think I fit. I don't, I'm not an actor. I'm not writing a script. And look at the loneliness, look at the darkness here, look how far people are from Jesus. I remember God saying to me, since when did I call you to go where you like? Since when is the story of what you're wrapped up in a story of your personal preferences and life choices? Didn't I call you to follow me? And I remember walking around the city, going, oh, I'm, oh, I'm not too sure. We actually thought, okay, well, let's come out and bring some friends with us to help plant the church. And you, again, I've said this story before, but it's an anchor moment in my life. And we had our amazing friends, all like amazing Raleigh, Southern, you know, good old people. They're amazing. I remember coming out for a weekend and from beginning of landing in LAX to leaving Sunday morning, they were bombarded with spiritual opposition like I've never seen before. Night terrors, random people coming up off the street saying you should not come here. Weird kind of like statements about what would happen to us if we did come. We then, I met, uh, I, well, someone said, you should get in touch with this other pastor about, because they've planted, they've been here three years and you should get in touch with him. And, I emailed him and he said, oh, I'm out of town right now. Um, but he then sent me like four page email of why it's terrible to plant a church in Los Angeles. <laughs> and at the very end, he said, but I'm so happy to partner for the gospel with you in Los Angeles. And then a month later, he left. It's like. I thought, God, what's going on? But I stepped, I remember stepping back into the story. Well, I'm not in this story to come to LA for kale salads and cream top coffees and Buck Mason. I'm not here for Abbott Kinney's and palm trees and surf. I'm not in here for the bougie parts of this city. In fact, I could probably leave all of that. I'm here to bring light into the darkness in the name of Jesus. I'm here to push back and join Jesus in bringing hope to the hopeless, community to the lonely, salvation to the lostness, grace to those who are struggling under the pressure of performance, justice to those who've been oppressed, to bring family and bring community back to a city that is living in isolation and individualism, to see the name of Jesus lifted high and the streets healed in the name of Jesus, overflowing with love, grace, and mercy, to see the renewal of LA. And I don't care how dark it is, how many people don't want me here. I'm here for Jesus and his love, and our battle is not warfare in might or fight, but it's in love 
love and justice and serving others who may not want us here, but no advance of the kingdom goes unopposed. But we are seeing slowly but surely through opposition, through headwinds, the kingdom of God come. And my hope is the story is what he begins, he will not finish. We will see this city filled with the glory of God. That is why we're here. That's why you're here. You're here wrapped up in a bigger story than your own leisure, pleasure, treasure, your own career development, your own marital, single, family status. You're here because God has brought you here because he knew that you were just the right person to join with his community, the finger and the thumb and the leg to join together and be the body of Jesus in the city to see his light come. This is why you're here. There's gonna be disappointments. There's gonna be sacrifices. There's gonna be costs because you're a missionary living for the sake of another purpose, the will and purpose of Jesus Christ. That is why you're here. God has brought you or born you in this city to lay down your life for the sake of others, to be radically generous sacrificially for the sake of others to live as a witness, to, to be an alternative kingdom community that our world goes. You guys are different, but there's something compelling about you. What is it? His name is Jesus. What story are you living in? If you start to live in the story of our city, you'll start to go, Jesus, you're not fulfilling the story that I want. But if you're going, Jesus, I want your story, you'll start stepping into the joy and the passion and the privilege of seeing his kingdom come, his will be done. What story are you living in? I love that there's a little phrase in, this, in Mark's gospel, I'm so off my notes, I'm so sorry, but there's a phrase in Mark's gospel which shows the bowels and blessings of what it means to follow Jesus in a city like ours. It says, just when John was imprisoned, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. It's like, what? And we see in another gospel, John the Baptist is in prison going, hang on a minute, Jesus, is this real? Because I'm in prison and you're out there. Jesus said, hey, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. Being a Christian in our city is increasingly challenging. I know many of you, I sit with you, I hear the pains of kind of lack of career development because of your faith. Lack of social relationships, like a, a turning away of people who go, I just don't want to be around Christians. I, I was with a friend just this last week. <laughs> I was with a friend this last week and his hobby is to get me to come out with his non-Christian friends thinking that if I'm around them, they're going to be intrigued as to who I am as a pastor and they'll come to know Jesus. And I go, oh mate, little do you know, you're from the South, aren't you? It's like, yeah. <laughs> So this ain't the South, brother. And I remember we walked in and we were chatting to his friends and I kind of, I've lived in a non-Christian world all my life and so I know there's a way in, right? And he said, oh no. So the very first thing he said to his friends, he said, oh, come meet my, my friend Gare. He's my pastor. Thinking that this is gonna go, he thought it would go, really? How fascinating. Tell me more about Jesus, you know? <laughs> And actually, he said, this is gay, my pastor. And the friend, his friend just looked at me and went, Ew. Ew. and walked away. Like, literally didn't even bother, just walked away. Now, that's just not me, right? 
Not just me, maybe you as well. We're living, we are called into, as Jesus calls it, enemy territory. Not that we don't love people, and people are amazing. I love people. But we are called into a kingdom that is not Christ, where it's ravaged by greed and selfishness, narcissism and injustice, oppression and racism, misogyny, all these things. There's an enemy seeking to further those things. And we've been called into the darkness to carry the light of Jesus and to see the, that darkness push back. What a great honor and privilege. And yes, we're gonna feel the wounds of opposition to that. But the love of Jesus is greater than our enemy. The light of Jesus is always greater than the darkness. What's the story are you living in? But Peter through Mark doesn't just stop there because to be honest, if that's all I heard, I'd go, okay, intellectually, fine, right? That, I, I need something here, not just here. That's good, the evidence for the resurrection, the prophetic trajectory of the Bible, it all hangs together, this is amazing. I get it intellectually, but we don't just need to be rooted intellectually in the story of what God is doing in the world and with you. We have to be rooted in an experience of the love of God. We've gotta be rooted in relationship with God. Which is where this amazing passage that Mark comes to, where we hear this amazing story and then we hear about Jesus' baptism. Because something happened at baptism which rooted Jesus in the mission and will root us in the mission regardless of the opposition, that we'll be resilient, not just because we know the story we're in, and this is the most compelling, beautiful story in the world, but we're also rooted in the love of God that fills us up and anchors us, that nothing can topple us. This picture of Jesus being baptized is probably only with two or three occasions where we get a glimpse into the relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's the most fascinating picture. And we're trying to understand the Godhead, that there's one God, but in three persons, and they're all linked together. How does that work? Well, this is one of the only passages we see how it works. Like, what's the dynamic between these guys? And what we see, we get a glimpse into the Trinity, where we see the dynamic is overwhelming, one just one of overflowing love, encouragement, support, and cheering each other on. It says, Jesus, sent by the Father, is baptized. And as he comes out of the water, we see God the Father, not, he just can't contain himself. It says he rips, rips open heaven. The only word elsewhere in the Bible where the rip happens is where the temple curtain is ripped in two after the resurrection of Jesus. It rips open. And the father looks at his son, grabs the microphone for all to hear and goes, you're my son whom I love. In you, man, well pleased. And the Holy Spirit flutters down like a dove. It's not actually a dove. It's fluttering down like the same fluttering over creation in Genesis 1. Because the Holy Spirit is kind of takes the words of the Father and makes them real to you. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. And so just as the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1 took the words of God, let there be light, and he used them to create life, so over Jesus in his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes and takes the words of the Father and just plunges them into the heart of Jesus. And he goes, oh, 
even before I do anything, I am overflowing with the affirmation and love of the Father. Before I even step out into ministry, I'm not going into ministry to prove myself, but I'm going into ministry overflowing the acceptance and the love of my Father. And throughout his ministry, this, this would repeat again and again when Jesus retreats to the wilderness just to be in the presence of his Father. You see, when we're living out the story of God with all the challenges, the oppositions, and particularly what it means in our city, we can't just intellectually know what God's doing in the world. We have to know it in our hearts. We have to know that we're part of the family of God, secure, loved, before we even lift a finger. So I really struggle with this. And part of the reason I was really down a couple of weeks ago was I was slipping back into my, I'm loved because I perform. I'm loved because I'm a good Christian or a, a good pastor or everybody's happy with me. See, I grew up addicted to performance. Through family of origin things and like through my school, you may have heard this before, but it deeply shaped me. Like my, in my summer vacations, all the way growing up, my father would send me and give me more schooling to do to get ahead. My presents from my father were not, well, all kinds of nice stuff, but they were always self-help books to improve myself. I knew about Anthony Robbins when I was three. <laughs> I call him Anthony, I'm respect. But, but I remember going to a school and to picture it in your mind, the only thing I can tell you is think of Hogwarts, right? We were, it was a very formal school, into different houses as we called them. We wore gowns at certain occasions. It was very, very formal. And it was all about meritocracy and performance. No one ever got any grades in class. You only got your position where you came in the class versus your other colleagues, right? You were not called your first name. That was too familiar. It was Jones, you're five out of 30. And then if you ever slipped below 20, in anything, at the end of the year, if you average below 20, then you would be divided. There were two kind of types of class in every subject, like math, English, and you weren't called kind of as it is here, like classic and AP, whatever it's called here, right? It was literally fast stream, slow stream. And it was like, Jones, you're in the slow stream. Congratulations, you're in the fast stream. And I grew up with this overly anxiety performance. And if I'm not careful, I can bring that into my relationship with God. That I'm told again and again it's by grace. I'm told, told again and again that it's his performance, not my performance. That he loves me and accepts me. He adopts me into the family. You never, you can't be adopted through performance. You're adopted out of grace and love. And I know that, but I can get into a performance hook again in my mind and go, oh gosh, I'm a failure. I'm rubbish at this. Look, you know, I, I'm doing this alpha thing and oh, I just think I messed up or I did that tie and oh, I just messed up. And I was walking my dogs and I got to the cafe after two hours and I was just thinking, I, I'm out, I'm done. I think I'm just rubbish at this. And God, you know, if I'm really rubbish at this, well, be great for everyone else just to have a different pastor. Actually, I'd kind of like my weekends back, actually. You know, what's this brunch thing all about? What's like a two-day weekend? I've never known that. 
right? It'd be nice just to say to people, I'm a lawyer, not a pastor, you know? And I remember sitting down in my coffee. I opened up the Bible, and I wasn't really wanting to read the Bible. I just thought I was that depressed. I thought, eh. But I did thought, well, I'll just prepare. I've got to preach. I said, I'll, I'll look at Mark chapter one. And I do remember this. I was reading this. And I thought to myself, gosh, before Jesus even did anything, he received that unconditional acceptance and approval of being in the family of God, and God just loved him. The Father just loved him. I thought, oh God, I need that. I need that. And I sat there and I thought, I need that. Come on then. (laughs) Nothing happened. And then I got up with my dogs and I thought, okay, I'll walk back. And some things are my first step as I walk back. I didn't have the heavens rip open. I didn't see a fluttery dove come down. I didn't hear an audible voice. But in my deepest inner crevices of my addiction to performance, I heard the Father's voice. God, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're my boy. You're my son. And then I walked the two miles home, just being filled with that unconditional, unrelenting, never-ending love of a father for his child. And I got back home. I just thought, God, I got this. I'm just here as your child. And I'm loved no matter what happens, no matter my performance, no matter anything else. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I think if Jesus needed it, so do, so do we. When was the last time your love tank was filled? Jesus went into ministry as we are in ministry in LA with his love tank filled. And we're not trying to prove ourselves, but we're overflowing love and grace to others. Lizzie, my wife, is such a good mum that at times when our kids were kind of being a bit erratic and a bit kind of all over the place, you know, kids can be like that, right? You were. Um, And I would be the disciplinarian, the quick to discipline, right? Get back in line, right? But my wife would go, gay, 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 stop, stop, stop. They're, they're not actually being disobedient. They're just acting out because their love tank is empty. You've been busy. We've been all caught up with lots of stuff. What they really need is for you to hang out with them, to sit down with them, spend time with them, to love them, to fill their love tank. Friends, we can only go into ministry in this city with our love tanks full. Daily, in his presence, weekly coming back to church, remembering the story, filling our love tanks up and going out into the world that we can love those who persecute us. We can pray for those who oppose us. We can actually not hate our city because it's dark, but hate the darkness because it's dark and go in with the light of Jesus Christ. 
And then finally, Jesus not only had his love tank full, but he had a community around him. He was rooted not just in love, but in community. I love the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father, but not separated from the Father or the Spirit. That throughout his ministry, they were having these moments together. That he had a community around him, and we need each other around us. It's why Vintage is committed to being a family, not a congregation. That the, the great fear of my heart as we grow is that this just becomes a place where you come to listen to a good sermon when John Mark's here. <laughs> it's actually, we're a family on mission together in each other's lives. And we can't do that on a Sunday like this, look around you. But that's why we have vintage communities, smaller pockets of family around the city. We need the community. During COVID, I was going through another bad time, as we all were, and God said to me, you do not have your community. There's a bit of Messiah complex in me, kind of performance, I can do this, I don't need anyone else, and that left me stranded and alone where I actually couldn't withstand the pressures of all that was going on in COVID, the CPR, right? COVID, political tension, racial trauma. It was just like, oh my gosh. And God said, you need to pray for people to come alongside you, to uphold you. And he took me to Moses in when, he was, uh, when the Israelites were kind of fighting battles against evil and darkness. And God said to Moses, he said, look, whenever you raise your hands, there's a gesture of surrender and it's all him, not us. He says, as long as you raise your hands, you're gonna defeat evil and win the battle. But there are times that Moses got tired because he just couldn't hold his hands up anymore. And so he... So God brought two of his buddies along, Aaron and Hur. And they said to Moses, sit down. You were never supposed to do this alone. And we'll, one got one arm, one got the other arm. We will hold your arms up. We're in this together. I have this picture from John Everett Millay above my desk at work. As every time I walk into the room, I go, yeah, that's me in the middle. I look pretty old and yeah, pretty, pretty tired. But I'm not supposed to be in this alone. Despite the individualism that I was brought up in, the proving myself I was brought in, yeah, just be humble and say there's times I'm done and I need others. In fact, all the time. So we prayed, my wife and I prayed during COVID, Lord, bring those people into our lives. And he did. And now I reach out to people and go pray, pray. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm in a bad place, pray. And they lift up my arms. They encourage me. They speak into my life. They care for my family where I can't. They journey through the loneliness so I'm not alone. Who are the people who lift up your arms? If you don't have your life rooted in the gospel and the story of God, you're going to get toppled over. If you don't have your love tank filled up and go, God's not about me. I'm in this story. I'm in, the, I'm in the eternal relationship of the Father and I can withstand anything, any rejection because I'm loved. And if you don't have men and women in your life to lift up your arms and say, we're in this together, we will topple over. But with all those things, we will see the glory of God fill our city.
because we are resilient, joyful, Christ-centered, never stopping people of God in the city, not living leisure, pleasure, treasure, but living the goodness of God, praying your kingdom come, your will be done. And greater is he than anything that comes our way. So when you see a palm tree as you leave this room, let that be your prayer. Lord, let that be me. Resilient, seeing your kingdom come in our city as it is in heaven. Let's stand together.